What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with breath, the creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor, God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I am. What name could contain the word of life, the light of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of all. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. Come on. Can we, hey, can we stand up on our feet?
and just give Jesus a big shout of praise today. Come on, give him some praise today. Father, we love you. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Awesome, awesome. Slap three people a high five and say, man, it's going to be good today. It's going to be good today. It's going to be good today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. What an honor to be with you today. Two weeks before Christmas. It's exciting. I know you're fired up. You can't wait to go to Concord Mills this afternoon. But just give me a few minutes, and I promise you that you'll learn something, walk out of here different. If you're watching online, we got Hawaii. Come on, somebody. Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, 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 the great the great country of Florida, and Italy. We got people from Italy. I think I know who they are, so welcome, welcome, welcome. And we also wanna give it up for your campus pastors, Pastor Stephanie, Pastor Aaron, stand up. Make sure you meet them after church. As I say often, if you're really nice to them, they'll probably take you out to lunch today. So, what's in a name? What's in a name? When you think about the names of God, the names of Jesus, uh, it's pretty powerful just to even think about what's in a name. My name means foot soldier. I didn't know that for many, many years. My wife's name, Penny, means weaver or networker. Uh, pretty interesting. A uh, few years, this was, gosh, not a few years ago, probably 30 years ago, I was serving my church in Richmond, Virginia. And my job back then was to pick up guest speakers from the airport, drive them to the hotel, pick them up, take them to church. And there was this nice, real sweet young lady. Her name was Stephanie Busada. And she was just the sweetest lady. And you know, the, the role then is, especially when you were driving people, is only engage when you're engaged with, only talk when you're talked to. You know, you did, who knows what they're going through. And mo most, most all of the people that we had as guest speakers back then were nice. Some of them I would like to take off in the woods and drop them off. But you know, that's the way it is sometimes. It wasn't my church. Now everybody that comes to Freedom House, I love. I only have really nice people that come and preach. So they're the same here as they are out there. And so, uh, which I'm really, really thankful for. Anyway, Stephanie was, it was the first time I'd ever been around someone who had a, the gift of prophecy on them, a real strong prophetic gift on their life. And so she got to know us, you know, in conversation. And the last time she spoke, she called my wife and I up, my wife and I up and prophesied over us and said, you know, this was before I knew my name meant foot soldier. She said, you're gonna have a big sword. You're gonna carry a large sword, meaning that I would carry the word of God. And I'm living that out right now. Matter of fact, my gift is a teacher. I'm a teacher pastor. I know I pastor a church, but I'm, I'm, I'm a gifted teacher. I think I'm pretty good at it. I really enjoy it. Um, I don't consider myself a good communicator, I'm a good preacher. There's a big difference between communicating and preaching. Communication can inspire. Preaching can change your life. So there's a big difference between the two. My wife, she told my wife that she was gonna be a networker, that she was gonna connect people, and she's really good at that. Matter of fact, if you're looking for a spouse, she's the one to talk to. Like, she's good at matchmaking, way better than Tinder. You know, who needs to swipe right? Just go to Penny, <laughs> Pastor Penny. You may not know this, Chris means bearer of Christ. I don't know if you know that or not. I think it's a perfect name for you. You need to get around Chris. He definitely is a great carrier of Jesus Christ. 
Jackie, I don't know if you know Jackie, means God is my protector. That's what it means. And I think it's cool because when you're leading worship, that's what I see, is that you're inviting God to come and protect us as you lead worship. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Names through scripture have serious meaning. Usually it meant destiny or uh, character. Often the circumstances surrounding someone's birth, they would name them based around those surroundings. For example, uh, this young lady named Rebecca who was married to Isaac had twins. The first baby that came out was Harry. That wasn't his name. He had hair all over him. All right. Um, but, and they named him Harry Esau. That's what Esau means. His name was Esau. However, his brother reached out as Esau, Harry, was being born and grabbed Harry's heel. And so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or supplanter. One particular story there is in the Bible where the Philistines had come and taken the presence of God, taken the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a lady who was having birth. And so she named her baby Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. It's interesting when you think about it. Often God would show up in someone's life in order to redirect them out of their lost past and their failures, he would redirect them by changing their name. You probably know Abram means exalted father. And eventually his name was changed to Abraham. Now what's interesting about that, and by the way, Sarah's name was changed as well, and they were both given the same letter to change their name. The fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the, the letter H, or <sighs> breath, spirit. In other words, to take an exalted father and make him a father of many nations, God injected the Holy Spirit into his life. It's a picture of us receiving the Holy Spirit. Isn't the Bible awesome? It's pretty amazing to think about. Then there's the name that's above every name. I love what God says about that name in Philippians chapter two. He said, therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That name Jesus is the most powerful name in the universe. You want, you want to find out why? Just start talking about it. Just say that name. People get angry. Some people get really excited. Some people get really, really angry at you. Just go to your office this week and start talking about Jesus. People will try to shut you down. HR will send you an email and says it's okay to say your pronouns on your email, but don't talk about Jesus. Don't bring, you can bring up Buddha, you can bring up Allah, you can talk about any type of Islamic religion, but when you start talking about Christianity and you bring up the name of Jesus, people will get upset because that name is powerful. You speak that name over your family, things will change. You speak that name over your body, you get healing. You speak that name over your neighborhood, things will change. Come on. I mean, God, God has given us the name that's above every name. Pastor Troy, you are preaching today. Come on, somebody. Tell it like it is. Billy Sunday, one of the great evangelists, he was a baseball player, became an evangelist. He said that he found 256 different names of Jesus in the Bible. You say, well, why would somebody need 256 different names? Because it's hard to describe 
someone who can change your life in such an amazing way. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the reality that God has the ability, Jesus has the ability to meet you in his own personal way. All eight billion of us that are on this planet, God can, Jesus can show up in a way that changes us how we need him. Because the way he deals with Aaron may be different than the way he deals with me. The way he deals with you may be different than the way he deals with me. It's amazing to think about that. 700 years prior to Jesus being born, Isaiah the prophet declared some of those names. In Isaiah 9, verse six, it says this, for unto us a child is born. Everybody say a child is born. That's Christmas. Look at your neighbor, say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Look at your neighbor, say a son is given. And the government will rest upon his shoulder. Aren't you thankful? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, what's interesting to me is that it says two different ways how Jesus is gonna come. The first, he says a child is born. What God is doing is he's speaking prophetically to bring to pass the promise that he made to David. A child. He told David, You follow me, you remain a man after my own heart, and I will I will make sure that your lineage will always be one that has a king in it. And of course, we know that David was ultimately the father. That lineage is where Jesus came through. But he also sent a son as given. This is also part of the messianic promise. Not so much the earthly lineage, but the the divine lineage. And I think it's cool that God says, I'm gonna give you this son, like a gift. I love presents. How many of y'all like presents? Come on, raise your hand. Don't don't be all religious on me like, I like giving. (laughs) I like to give. Yeah, that's cool in church, but when you get home, you like to get. Everybody likes to get. That's what I love about Amazon. It's like every day right now. It's like Christmas on the front porch of the Maxwell House. And the great thing is my name is all over the packages because I'm the one listed at my address, you know? So every package I wrote up yesterday or day before yesterday, we get home from a little trip, Penny and I, I said, guess what, honey? There's packages all on the front porch. There's like eight packages. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is like Christmas every day. It's awesome. I can't open any of them. Can't get one of them open because they're all probably to me from my wife. Isn't that terrible? God gave us his son to be unwrapped. Have you unwrapped him yet? Have you experienced everything that he came to give us? And then Isaiah speaks the names. He gives us different names describing who Jesus would be. Now, understand that in Isaiah 9, 6, he calls, he calls them wonderful counselor. I know, I know some of your Bibles will have a comma between wonderful and counselor, but in reality, these were throne names that were given to God because Isaiah was doing like many nations would do, would do and that whenever a king would sit on his throne, he would have names that surrounded him. 
And so what Isaiah was doing is in practice of the other nations, he was giving Jesus these names. He said, first of all, he's gonna be a wonderful counselor, a great strategist. He's not gonna just bring us counsel. That's actually the job of the Holy Spirit. He was gonna be a strategist. He will put you in the right places at the right time around the right people. Wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God, a warrior. I know, I know we like blue-eyed, dark-haired, bearded Jesus reaching out his hands. But let me tell you, the second time he comes, he's gonna, his eyes are gonna be flames of fire. Out of his mouth is gonna come a two-edged sword. He's gonna have feet like brass, a belt of truth. Whole different style of Jesus than we think he is. He's gonna be a warrior, a fighter, a mighty God. Amen? He's everlasting father. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's my whole message. He's prince of peace. He's resolver. He brings, he brings peace in the midst of turmoil. You know, here's the thing that, that I want you to understand about all of the names of Jesus is that these describe his faithfulness of how faithful he is. And the way we turn that faith on or that faithfulness on in God is because of our faith. Understand, God doesn't move based on your need. He moves based on your faith. And so if you want faithfulness, you have to give faith. You have to declare your faith, your belief. The Bible says about Abraham, it says he was accounted to him righteousness because of his belief, his faith. It wasn't because he needed something. We all need something. Some of us a little more than others, but we all need something. But when you turn on faith is when God's faithfulness shows up. Everlasting Father. I wanted to tackle that one because I think that's an interesting way to describe Jesus. Because when I think of a father, I think of God. So how can Jesus be called a father? In Luke chapter 15, there's a great story, a great parable that Jesus gives us. I think part of it is how he sees a father, like how he pictures his father in heaven. And let's be honest, most of our issues that we have, daddy issues, father issues. I know my issues are daddy issues. And so God, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and some Pharisees and all these guys are around and he starts telling the story. You know the story. They call it the, the story of the prodigal son. There's a dad, a father, who had two sons. These two sons represent two, two parts of humanity. Some of us in this room fit into one part of this humanity. Some of us fit in the other part of this humanity. The first part is the younger son. The younger son comes to the father, and here's what he says to him. I want my inheritance. Give me, give me what's due me. In other words, I want you to be dead. That's what he was telling his dad. I don't want you to live anymore. I want what's mine. His motivation in life or his worth in life came from his desire to be rich, wealthy, success. Everything was about his, his, his whole destiny. His whole character was, was around his selfishness, his rebelliousness. And so he gets all this money and he goes to New York and he buys a, a studio apartment up on the top level, you know, and he has all this great times. He has parties and, and all his friends are there. And then crypto takes a dive. <laughs> and he loses it all. He doesn't have any more money. 
And he ends up working at the lowest level job he could ever have. He's working as a Jewish man for a pig farmer, which was just, I mean, so out of character, so terrible, so horrible. And he finds himself in the back of this pig pen and he has this moment that I think we all either have, have, or will have. The Bible says he came to himself. I don't know if you've had one of those come to yourself moments. I've had a come to yourself moment. That's why I'm standing here today. It's because 32 years years ago, I came to myself. I realized this direction ain't the right direction. Now, everybody's gonna have one. Yours may not be now. You may not have had it yet. Some of us, we still got a little pride. We gotta work out, a little independence, a little rebelliousness. We think we can do it all on our own. We think we can, we can be everything all by ourselves, but you will come to yourself. You will have a moment. I know you don't think you need God right now. You don't need church. You don't need community. You don't need a life group. You don't need a pastor telling you anything about your life. You don't need any direction, but one day, you're gonna find yourself, just like this young man, sitting in a pig eating pig food, and you're gonna go, oh my gosh, why am I here? Trust me, it'll happen. So he decides, I wanna go back home. My dad has got great servants. Maybe I can just be a servant. He, He may not ever let me be a son again, but at least I can be a servant. So he rehearses this little statement. You can look at it. It goes something like, God, I mean, Father, I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry, I repent. Will you take me back? So he, I, I can see him. He, he gets up, dusts himself off the best he can, starts walking to his house. And then Jesus gives us a great picture of what a father is. The Bible says when he was afar off, his father saw him. Now I think the father was in anticipation of his returning son the whole time. Anytime he had a little moment, a little break from work, he would sit on the porch, rocking in that chair. He's gonna come back today. Today's the day, never losing hope, never losing faith, that one day, the son that left will come back home. The son that ran away will run back home. The son that walked out of my door will walk back through that door again. See, what what Jesus is doing, listen, church, what Jesus is doing is giving us a picture of the character of a father that he never gives up on you. He'll never quit on you. He is a faithful God. He is a faithful father. He's an anticipating father. He's a loving father. He's a forgiving father. He's a hopeful father. And he's sitting on that chair, rocking. And he sees the son afar off. And the Bible says he jumps up and he runs to him and embraces him. He says, get the best robe out. Get the ring out. Get some new shoes for this guy. Let's have a party. And man, they party like crazy. In comes the second son, the other part of humanity that finds their their worth in works, activity, legalism, religion. See, the interesting thing is both were just as far from God. One 
distance, geographical, came back. One, heart. Yeah, they showed up to church every week. But they found their worth not in a relationship with the Father, but in a relationship with how they do. Their actions. Well, God only loves me when, I, when I'm good. When I give, when I serve. God, God, only, God only loves me as, as long as I'm doing good. As long as I'm good, God loves me. And Jesus was letting him know that has absolutely nothing to do with God's love. And so he comes in from the fields because he's working like he always does to earn approval from his father. And he says, hey man, what about me? What, what about me? What, what about me? I mean, I've been here the whole time. You never did that for me. You never had, a, never had a party for me. You never gave me a robe. You never gave me a ring. You never gave me new sandals. And his dad, I can just imagine, puts his hand right on his shoulder and says, hey, listen, son, you've been with me forever and I love you. Again, Jesus has given us a picture of how he sees a real father. How important is it right now to understand what a real father is? In light of what's going on in our world right now, the attack on children, how important is it right now? All the, the, the demasculinization of America, how important it is to understand what a father is. So how can Jesus be a father and a son? That, and I mean, it's kind of weird because we're supposed to think, well, he's the father, but, but, but he's described as an everlasting father. Well, there's a Jewish tradition that says that in the absence of the father, the elder son takes the responsibility of the father. In other words, God did not come, but he sent his son to, to describe to us, to give us the characteristics of what a father can look like. Now, when I, when, when I say father, I want you to think differently than paternal, okay? So when I say everlasting father, don't just think paternal. I want you to think like a creator. Because when, when, when you say a father, a father of something could be an inventor of something. For example, Edison invented the light bulb. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. Kraft invented mac and cheese. Right? Chick-fil-A invented the mini, also known as manna. What is it? Chicken mini. So think about that. Okay, so let me give you a couple thoughts here. You good, good so far? Can you give me just a couple more minutes? I know, I know. It's, it, the mall's okay right now. You'll be good. Write this down. Jesus is the father of time. T-I-M-E, the father of Time. Matter of fact, everlasting father means father of eternity or eternal father. Understand Jesus authored time. Now, in order to create something, you must exist before it and outside of it. In other words, it, God, Jesus is eternal just like God is eternal. Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I like to look at it this way. God spoke it, Jesus made it, the Holy Spirit crafted it. 
That's why it's called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. One commentary calls him the uncreated creator of all things. Think about it this way. If you could go back 10 billion years, just think about it. You go 10, if you could go back 10 billion years, travel in time, 10 billion years, Michael J. Fox, 10 billion years. Go back 10 billion years. If you could, let's take it even farther. Let's go, let's go a step farther. Let's say you could go back 10 gazillion years. I don't know if that's a real number, but hey, let's just pretend you could go back. You would be no closer to the creation of Jesus than you are right now because he exists outside of time. Why, why is that important to me? Why is that important to you? I'm glad you asked that question because you're like, why in the world would you even bring this up? How many of y'all have a security system? Raise your hand if you've got a security system at your home. Come on, raise your hand if you've got a security system. Okay, you don't have to be nervous. I don't know your code word. I just wanted to know if you had a <laughs> security system. Some of you like, so should I really tell them I have a security system? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not gonna come to your, I'm gonna go to these other 70% that ain't got no security system <laughs> and steal all their presents. <laughs> so I have a security system at my home. Sadly, I don't turn it on all the time. My wife doesn't turn it on all the time. Now, it works better when it's on. <laughs> Just so you know. Okay, how many of y'all have a security system? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up if you turn it on when you left today. Look at that, about over half of you put your hand down. You didn't even turn it on, you got one. You didn't even turn it on. Now, the interesting thing about my security system is that if it's on and somebody breaks through the door or breaks through a window or moves in certain areas, and I got like four or five cameras around my house and everything, and, and uh, um, so, so if something happens, somebody will come over a loudspeaker on, that's monitoring my house. 24-7, my house is monitored. There's somebody that's there ready to see if something happens in my house. And if somebody comes through, they go, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Maxwell, looks like someone has come through your door. Are you there, Mr. Maxwell? And then I would go, yes, I am. And, and they would say, what's your code word? And I'd go, beep, because I'm not gonna give you my code word. <laughs> and then they would go, okay, is everything okay? And I said, now it is, because I took care of business. But anyway, <laughs> don't be breaking in my house. Because I got the security system on the wall, and then I got the security system right here. So, amen. God bless America. <laughs> if that makes you nervous, you're safe. <laughs> However, if I don't turn my security system on, it's still monitored 24-7. I can press a button, I can do something on my app, and somebody will come over the loudspeaker and they will say, are you okay, Mr. Maxwell? Again, asking for the code word. I will give them the code word and I will say, there's a fire, there's somebody that's broken in. See, because Jesus created time and exists outside of time, he is monitoring your life 24-7. He is in complete control of your life. So much so that he has the ability in a moment, what takes you a lifetime to accomplish, he can do in just one moment. Because he sees the beginning and the end. He sees it all. He sees your whole life before him. Every, every decision. Now, I know you're thinking, well, well how does he know? Well, then let's go down. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go down to, well, how does he know what decision I'm going to make? That's the sovereignty of God. And those are things we just don't understand. 
But because he created time and he sees the beginning and the end, he can redeem it. Just like he redeems your soul, he can redeem time. You lost time with your spouse, boom, he can redeem it. You lost time with your kids, boom, he can redeem it. You feel like you have regrets in your life, boom, God can redeem it. Jesus is the father of time. That's a great thing to know. He is the father of time. Whether you turn him on or not, he is 24-7 watching over your life. Secondly, Jesus is the father of Christian faith. He is the architect of Christian faith. There are three non-negotiables about your faith. If you declare your Christianity, there are three things that have to be the framework of your faith. Number one, Jesus was born immaculately. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. A seed from heaven was planted in her. And Jesus was born, like Gabriel said, that he would be born of the Holy Spirit. Not Joseph, not man, but God. Are you, are you following me? He's divine. He's all man and he's all God, number one. Number two is that Jesus was crucified. You have to believe that if you're a Christian, that he was crucified. And thirdly, the pinnacle of our faith is that Jesus was raised from the dead. All three have to be present. You can't doubt them. All three have to, in order for Jesus to be Lord of your life, maybe you don't understand it all, but those three things have to be present. That he was born of a virgin, that he was, he was crucified on Golgotha, and he was raised three days later. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, my preaching is empty. What's the value? If there's no resurrection, what's the purpose of preaching? If there's no raising from the dead, we're all going to the same place and we'll, be we'll spend eternity there. No, no, no. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he conquered death and the grave for you and me. It says, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. A faith that does not believe in the resurrection is an incomplete faith. In other words, a faith that believes in the resurrection is a faith worth dying for. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and the and is the resurrection because it says right after that, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love the and. Because without that and, without the resurrection, my faith is not worth dying for. Let's, let's take it just another level. Because let's, Stephen died for his faith. He was stoned for Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Some of you are like, yes, amen. Praise the Lord. I love this Christianity. Where do I sign up? <laughs> no, no, no. He, he was rocks thrown at him dead. All right, just make that clear. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. John was boiled in oil. Christians for, for thousands of years were, were, were killed for their faith, thrown into lion infested dens and, and in front of coliseums, ripped apart from limb to limb for their faith. And I think dying for your faith is pretty important, but right now living for your faith is just as important. So let me ask you, are, you might be willing to die, but are you willing to live 
for your faith. Having an uncompromised conviction that Jesus died and was raised from the dead for you. Are you willing to speak that out? Stand for that. Walk in that. Not just here. Look, not just in this building because it's easy to do it in here. It's easy to go, yes, praise the Lord. Because most everybody in here loves God. Most. It's when you get out there that it's important. That's, that's why it's so good to come to church on Sunday and get fired up, man. It'll wear off by Saturday about three o'clock in the afternoon. You're like, I need to get back and get a little more. Come on. Some of you, it wears off by Wednesday. That's why you need a life group. Hit another one. Bam, I need another. Bam, give me some of Jesus so I can keep on going so I can press through. My office is pulling it out of me. My family is wearing me out. My friends are telling me down. So I need a life. I need two life groups. Give me a Tuesday and a Thursday. In the age of convenience and in the age of, of, of information, we need to have an uncompromised conviction that Jesus was born of a virgin, died and was raised from the dead, and that I'm willing to stand for that no matter what. I'm willing to stand. Thirdly, Jesus is the father, the builder of the church. I'm almost done. Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Why the church? What's so important about the church? Why does the church even exist? How come it's lasted for 2,000 years through crusades and problems and challenges? It's the, it's the only organization, the only organism that has made it. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, I, I believe he spent 40 days with his disciples explaining this idea of what the church would be. And then he ascended the second time, solidifying, stamping that stamp of approval, letting us know that the church is extremely important. Listen, a weak church in our communities makes a weak community. When the church is powerless, our nation is powerless. I'm, I'm, it breaks my heart to see what's happened to the church in the last five years. Breaks my heart to watch pastors bow their knee to wokeism and all kinds of craziness that's happening in our world. Breaks my heart when just this past Tuesday, a reverend says that Jesus would be pro-choice. Come on, somebody. That is weak and powerless. That is aligning yourself with with a compromised culture that's trying to pull down the conviction and the faith that stands before us, Jesus being the head of the church. You cannot separate your Christianity and the church. You cannot say, I love God, but I don't love his church. You can't do it. You've gotta be in a church. You gotta be connected to a church. You gotta have a pastor you got to have somebody that's leading you. If you're watching online today, get, on, get in a church. Let us help you get in a church. Get your butt in a seat in a church because God wants to do something in your life. And it's only going to happen when you get in a church. I was reading this week uh, in 1 Samuel, and, and I got a great kind of idea of how everything can go wrong if we're not careful. <laughs> it's a story of, of, of Eli who was a priest. 
And the Bible says, and I think it goes into detail because we know right after that Samuel comes along, this prophet who, who basically brings in the king. But Eli gives us a great picture of what happens when the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Look, if we want change in our community, it's gotta come through the church. If we want influence in the marketplace, it's gotta come through the church. If we want change in our schools, it's gotta come through the church. We can't expect anything other than the church to stand up and take its rightful place. And it requires pastors who are willing to speak the word of God, and it might offend some people. That's all right, I don't mind. Doesn't bother me a bit. I know who called me, you didn't. No offense, I'm not trying to make you mad, but I know. Eli was a great picture of a priest who becomes ineffective, a church who becomes ineffective. Ineffective. The Bible says the light of the candle in the holy of holies went out because Eli's eyes became dim. He lost vision and there was no revelation of God. See, the purpose of the church is to bring the revelation of God to the world, not the other way around. The world is not meant to bring revelation to the church. The church is the one to lead the way in culture. Lead the way in culture. You guys following me? You are a part of the most powerful organism that has ever existed on the planet and will continue until heaven meets earth. That's what you're a part of. You should be excited to be a part of the church. You should stand up for the church. You should, you should never back down from being a part of the church. You should never step away from being a part of the church. That is your role. God puts you here. Yes, you work at Bank of America. Yes, you're a mom. Yes, you're a dad. But first and foremost, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a part of the most powerful organism on the planet that has ever existed, the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? When leaders and the church are weak, the word of God becomes less recognizable. That's why there can be billboards that say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's okay to have abortions. That's unrecognizable. What else happened with Eli is it says his two sons were wicked and rebellious. If we're not careful and the church doesn't rise back into its place, we're gonna have a whole generation that is wicked and rebellious. And listen, listen, God's not gonna pour out wrath. He already did that on Jesus. He'll just abandon. He, he, it's called divine abandonment. Just read Romans 1. The Bible says when, when they were left to themselves, God removed himself. I don't want that. I don't want it in Charlotte. I don't want it in this city. I don't want it in our nation. So I'm gonna do everything I can to continue to preach the word of God. We want change, happens through the church. Influence happens through the church. Look at your neighbor, say, I'm glad I'm part of the church. Last one, and then I'm done. Jesus is the father of life. The father of life, the maker of of life, the creator of life. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Look at verse 21. For since by man, 
came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. The first man was Adam. The second man is Jesus Christ. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Adam. You know we all have the same daddy. Did you know that? All of us do. We all have the same dad, Adam. I know we have different color skin. You know, different color skin is just different color dirt. Some of you just a little darker than other people. Some of you spend all summer trying to become darker dirt. Some of you just red dirt, yellow dirt, dark brown, rich dirt. Some of us, ultra white dirt. That's all we are is dirt. Come on, look at your neighbor. Just say, you look dirty. You look dirty. Because you are. You're just dirt. You say, I can't believe you say that in church. It's the truth. I mean, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We were all formed out of the dust of the earth. Also, a.k.a. dirt. Hello. But here, here's, what, here's, what, here's what God's trying to tell us. And then I'm done. Is if you stay under that father, your future is death. If you stay in Adam... If you wrestle with everything that involves Adam, you will remain dead until you are possessed by the second Adam, the father of life, the everlasting father. In Adam, we all die spiritually, but in Jesus, we all have life. In Adam, we live in the flesh, we live in sin. But in Jesus, we have spiritual life, new life, eternal life. There's a divine exchange that happens. Last story. I love, I love the way that, that the, the, the Chosen series does this story. It's, the, it's when Jesus and Nicodemus hang out together. It's, a great, it's so awesome how they do it on that. Phenomenal. Jesus is having this conversation. If you, don't, if you don't know the story, there's this religious man who is kind of being transformed. Something's happening. He's, he's witnessed a couple miracles. He's heard that this guy might be the Messiah. And he goes, hey, can I get on his schedule? I'd like to meet with him. And so they have this meet time and it's in the evening because Nicodemus doesn't really wanna be connected with him yet. And, and they have this little coffee together about, you know, after the sun goes down. And Jesus and him have this dialogue. And Jesus says some things to him that are confusing. He doesn't quite understand. He, his feet are kind of taken out from under him because he makes this one statement. He says, unless, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot have eternal life. And Nicodemus is thinking, you mean you're talking like John the Baptist, baptism like water? And he goes, no, no, no. I want to explain this to you. See, what Jesus meant is we all have the, we are qualified to have the life of Christ if you were born of a woman. In South End right now, they're having babies like crazy down there. I was just, I preached there last week. I've never seen so many kids. I mean, they're, bam, another one. Bam, another one. Pow. They're just popping out everywhere. It's like be fruitful and multiply South End's doing it. If you're having problem conceiving, just go to South End. You will get pregnant. Just sit in the service. Just go first week, second week, guaranteed. Now you gotta do the other stuff that's involved, married couples. 
Let's clear that up. Let's make that very clear. Marriage comes before babies. Marriage comes before babies. One more time. Marriage comes before babies. All right, just we'll make that clear. So he says, you need to be born of water. What happens right before a mom gives birth? Her water breaks. So what Jesus was saying is every person is qualified for life. This means you. Every person is qualified for life when they've gone through water. They're born. And then he says, if you're born of the Spirit, talking about eternal life. Jesus said this, or or John said this. He said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty simple. In other words, in order to have life, Jesus said you can have it more abundantly, Jesus needs to possess you and you need to possess Jesus. He needs to possess you and you need to possess him. That's what life is. And you'll experience freedom from death. What is freedom from death? The ability to overcome sin. It's as simple as that. That's what the life is, is the ability to overcome sin. Sure, it means heaven, but I need some life right now. I got all kinds of stuff whispering in my head, trying to get me to do this and that and the other. But when I have the life of Christ, I can firmly and authoritatively say, no, I don't want death. I have life. Jesus is the father of time. Jesus is the father of my Christian faith. Jesus is the father of the church. Jesus is the father of life. I want you to stand with me today. And I want to invite you to experience the father. Jesus, the everlasting father. This was a big shift for me. Some of you know my story, but for me, I had to learn how to connect with God, my father, because I didn't really have a father in my life. My grandfather did his best in trying to fulfill that range. I don't think my my dad abandoned me like some of us experienced. I think my dad just didn't know how to do it. He didn't really try, but he didn't know how to do it. And so when I became a Christian, that was the first thing that God taught me was I wanna be your father. So when I read that story in Luke chapter 15, it resonates with me a lot because I needed forgiveness, I needed love, I needed hope, I needed freedom, I needed joy. I needed all those things that my earthly father was incapable of giving me. And so I had to learn how to run to a heavenly father. And when I, when I look and see that Jesus not only is my heavenly father in heaven, but he sent his son to fill the role of an everlasting father for me, oh man, it just, it just, it brings, it brings peace to my soul. So I don't know where you are in this journey. I don't know, I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that Jesus is here for you today. And I do not want you to walk out of this place, whether you're like one of, maybe you're like the, the, the prodigal son that you've been running from God for a long time. And it could, look, you could have all the right things to say. You could have all your Christianese down good and blessed and highly favored and this, that. But inside, you know that you are fatherless. You know that there's something inside of you that needs 
to experience the Father. Or maybe your approval is all about whether I have this house or have that car or I serve here or I do that. Listen, there's a Father who wants to put his hand on your shoulder and tell you how much he loves you today. And if you need that in front of everybody, with eyes wide open, knowing that you can live by faith. Because if you can't do it in this room, listen, you can't do it out there. I want you, I'm gonna invite you to come to this altar. I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray a Father's blessing over you. If you say that's me, I want you to get out of your seat right now and come to this altar. I need, I need a dad. I need, I need a father. I need an everlasting father. Just get out of your seat and come right to this altar. And as you come, just close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven. And I promise you, your everlasting father will meet you right here. I'm so proud of you, sweetheart. I'm so proud of you. And guess what? God is so proud of you. So proud of you. Just get out of your seat and come. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. There's some dads in this room that you need a father to emulate because you never had one. And you're wondering, how can I be a dad in this family? How, how can I lead my kids? How, how, can I, how can I do this? I don't know what I'm doing. Let me tell you, he is the wonderful counselor. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Maybe you're a good provider financially, but you're a terrible provider spiritually. Listen, get out of your seat and come. Let's watch God move in your life today. Step up, dad. Step up, mom. And let the everlasting father come and minister to you. I'm proud of you, man. Proud, super proud. Proud of y'all. Just get out of your seat and come. I'm gonna give you about 15 more seconds because some of you need to step up. Good job, man. Thank you, Jesus. There's two more people. God's waiting on the porch. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Proud of you, buddy. still think there's one more. I'm gonna wait. I'm just gonna be patient. We ain't got anywhere to go. Mall's open till like eight or nine. You're good. Come on, man. Proud of you. Just close your hand, eyes. Everybody in the church, just lift your hands. Just watch, just watch. When you, when you turn on your faith, God turns up his faithfulness. That's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit right there. Just real quiet. Don't push, just receive. Just receive right now. God wants to touch you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. Tell you how proud he is of you. Tell you how much he loves you. How much he cares about you. How long he's been waiting for you. Wants to give you hope. Wants to give you a future. Wants to give you joy. Put a smile back on your face. Remove all the shame. Remove all the grief. Remove all the hurt. Remove all. He wants to redeem that time. Thank you, Jesus. 
you, Jesus. Come on, I sense the Holy Spirit. Let him touch you. Thank you, Jesus. That's perfect right there. Thank you, Jesus. See, when you come and you just use your faith, God takes all that pressure off you and and he gives you his burden, which is light, which is easy. Every eye closed in this place. blessing over you, a father's blessing. I'm a pastor. I'm a dad biologically, but I'm also a spiritual father. So I'm going to pray that. I'm going to pray a blessing over your life. So just receive it right now. As a father, as the authority, God, that you've given me, I speak blessing over every person that responded today. I speak blessing. I I speak favor over their life. I speak the joy of the Lord that brings strength over them. God, I speak forgiveness and release from the prison of heartache, the prison of their past. I speak freedom. God, that when they walk out of this room today, they will feel free in their heart and their soul. Walking out the plan that you have for them, which is good. I speak joy. I remove any attachments to the past, ungodly attachments. As a father, I break generational curses, words that have wounded them and hurt them and destroyed them. I take authority over every one of those words and remove its power. And Lord, the words that are now over them are words of peace, words of hope. In the name of Jesus, I release that into their life right now. In Jesus' name. One more time, one more time. Just lift your hands up. Just everybody in the room, lift your hands up. let his presence just come and touch you Mm. that's the anointing of God see when you get all that stuff out he just replaces it with the anointing the anointing to live that's life that you feel right there that's life the life of God the life of an everlasting father the life of Jesus amen 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 can we give God just a big hand of praise